welcome to the Harvard Center for International Development's Road to GEM 23 Climate and Development Podcast. My name is Charles Hua, and I'm a senior at Harvard College and a CID student ambassador. CID's Road to GEM 23 series proceeds and helps launch CID's Global Empowerment Meeting, or GEM, Growing in a Green World, on May 10th and 11th. At CID, we work across a global network of researchers and practitioners to build, convene, and deploy talent to address the world's most pressing challenges. On our road to GEM 23, we strive to elevate and learn from voices from the countries on the front lines of the climate crisis, and will feature important learnings from the leaders who will be active participants at GEM 23. This week, we are joined by Adam Roberti and Xavier Cortada. Adam serves as Executive Director of the Xavier Cortada Foundation, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to use socially engaged art to create meaningful and transformative experiences that educate, inspire, and mobilize communities to take collective action against their climate and ecological crises. Xavier is Miami's pioneer eco-artist and inaugural artist-in-residence. He is a Cuban-American artist who has created art at the North and South Poles and across six continents, including more than 150 public artworks, installations, collaborative murals, and socially engaged projects. Adam and Xavier, thank you for talking with me today. Thanks so much, Charles. Happy to be here with you. Same. Excited to be here and talk. So Adam and Xavier, can you walk me through a little bit about how the Xavier Cortado Foundation was started? What is the work that you all do? And what's the connection to climate? Why is that the focus area of your work? Yeah, so the Xavier Cortada Foundation came about because you have this artist here, Xavier, who's been creating these really impactful and meaningful projects in Miami and around the world for, for a long time. And he was looking to scale up the, the work so that it can reach more people you know, and, and create more change. And so I've been working with Xavier for about four years now in amplifying the socially engaged art practice that he has been cultivating for so long. And so what that what that looks like is partnering with various schools and institutions and parks and libraries and municipalities. Um, Xavier is a community leader and has lived in Miami his whole life. And so he has developed and nurtured these different these different connections and, and partners over time, such that when he wants to start a native tree reforestation project, it is something that every school does on Earth Day for a decade. You know, it's something that when he wants to launch a project about sea level rise, which we'll talk about, he he works with the mayor of the city to engage all of its residents. And so his projects are not simply, you know, working in a in a little community center and creating some paintings. They are trying to work across disciplines um, to engage folks from from different areas of life so that we can pull from each other's strengths and and collectively, you know, create create action. That's what the projects that Xavier has created and what the Cortada Foundation is trying to advance. You know, we are we're trying to do what we can to not only pique the curiosity of folks who are not having conversations about climate change or sea level rise or biodiversity loss or whatever environmental issue um, the project, uh, you know, may be addressing, but actually engage them in the problem solving on their on their own and with their community. So how, how can we use art and how can we tap into the creativity of, of neighbors, of residents, of communities, so that they are solving their own problems? It's not like Xavier is coming and parachuting into a place and trying to say, this is what you're supposed to do. He's trying to tap into the, the knowledge and the wisdom of 
the folks that live in a place that are on the front lines of whatever problems they're dealing with and trying to help provide some some tools um, or some some methodologies for for sparking solutions that they might not have thought of yet um, but Xavier, I mean, you've been working on these projects for a, you know a really long time, and so why don't you give a little bit of the origin as to how you even moved into socially engaged art because you have a law degree and you have a business degree and you know you are not a traditionally trained you know artist. So why don't you speak to that? Sure, hey Charles, thanks so much for for hosting us here. Uh, at the end of the day, I think what we do is we believe in the power and potential of the individual. I personally think that art is this uh, universal language that has an incredible elasticity, an elasticity that can work across disciplines, across cultures, across time. And since the onset, when I first started doing my work across Latin America and Africa around social justice issues, I found art to be an incredible vehicle to get street children in Bolivia to come and talk about an issue with policymakers by creating these large street murals where the kids themselves would reach out to folks walking by banking uh, centers and ask them not for, you know, change, spare change uh, to deal with their homelessness, but some solutions. I did that project with the U.S. Embassy back in 97 or, or with Soweto in Soweto three years earlier, engaging communities right at the end of apartheid uh, around the issues of substance abuse by having people come together around the shared experience of co-creating, it allowed these different voices to come into dialogue with one another in a way that more traditional forms uh, don't. And I know that the audience that we're speaking today does a lot of really important work across our planet around development. And in many ways, it's not about a unilateral uh, distribution of information, but it's really about valuing the community wisdom of the individuals who will help engage community, provide the distribution channels, and the sense of a purpose that will allow these projects to not just occur during the fiscal year that you're operating under, but for time. And when it comes to climate, there's an incredible sense of urgency that I don't see the folks I was with at a COP a meeting. I don't see the policymakers in my nation, and I don't see communities across the world address the issue of extreme heat, of rising seas, of scarcity of water, of food, in the way that is doing enough to move the needle so that billions of people don't suffer. So uh, I, I pivoted my practice from addressing issues like race and juvenile justice uh, and violence to an even an AIDS, I did a lot of work with uh, the international AIDS organizations to lift the voices of those who had been impacted uh, by the pandemic. I pivoted to focus on climate uh, because climate impacts all and will for the foreseeable future. Thanks both for those uh, those overviews. Now, a lot of work in the international development space can be quite technical. A lot of it is policy. A lot of it is development finance, making sure that we can bring capital from wealthier countries to the developing world to finance clean energy infrastructure projects. However, there is a very important dimension to your work, which can't be monetarily captured. Can you speak a little bit more to why you view the arts as an effective vehicle for climate action, particularly when sometimes it seems like 
there are a lot of infrastructural challenges that require putting concrete and cement in, in, in various places. What, what can art do in this moment? I think art can reframe an issue and give folks a sense of ownership and agency at a time when there is a lot of distrust and cynicism, even when organizations try to come in and help. There's an important approach that involves respecting and lifting those who we serve. And at times uh, in our haste to get our deliverables taken care of, we forget who and why we're delivering our services to. And I think art allows us to pause and see uh, the other in the eye as a as a fellow human being, and more importantly, provides a platform, an equalizing platform, where people are forced to come out of their traditional silos, out of their comfort zones, out of their jargon, out of their uh, titles, and connect with one another at the human level around shared ideas. And that's what I have uh, tried to do with my work. In many ways, a lot of the work I Adam and I um, create are about reframing the way people see things so that they find a sense of of ownership in the problem that's trying to be addressed so that we uh, increase the timeline so that it's not just about the immediate, but it's about the long term, Uh, that we uh, spread the focus so that it's not about just an individual and their insular family, but it's about the community that that family needs uh, to thrive so that the family itself can thrive. So there's different uh, approaches, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about them now, from mangrove reforestation to sea level rise, that are just uh, allow the community into the conversation so that you're not doing for them, but you're doing with them, so that you're really uh, engaging them and finding their absolute wisdom. Just We have to understand that we think we have an approach on how to build a bridge or how to get water uh, to a community, but the community has to buy in because if not, we're just wasting our time and our money and creating even more cynicism. So what art does, art basically levels that field and invites practitioners and community together into conversation where we build mutual respect. And at times when resources are scarce, as Adam will tell you in a second, we do weird, strange things to grab your attention. And and exactly. So, Charles, as you mentioned, the question often comes down to how are we financing this, right? What are what maybe regulations are being put in place? How are we developing in a way that is sustainable moving forward? And right now in the United States of America and in many places around the world, we we have a political action gap, right? So we have the solutions that are necessary. We know what we need to do, but it's it's not happening at the, the pace or the rate that we need it to happen. And so what I was learning through my time at the University of Miami when I, I did my bachelor's in ecosystem science and policy, and I got a master's in environment, culture, and media, which was really looking at how the public's perception of environmental issues, particularly climate change, has been shaped by by media, so by mass media, by social media, and I was understanding that you know we are really we're living in these silos in these echo chambers, and we're so divided such that we're not working in this collective manner to advance the solutions that are necessary to protect ourselves, our families, our communities, our future generations. And so, what can we do to really have a much greater number of people not just understand these issues but be part of be part of solving them and being 
you know, civically engaged? What, what can we do to, to forward that? And I found what Xavier was doing through these large scale, interactive, socially engaged art projects that we are reaching people who are not having these conversations, but then in piquing their curiosity in providing an experiential learning opportunity, we are mobilizing them. And that's where it's, it's really using art as a way of getting, say, Community A, and here in Miami, we'll talk about Hialeah or Little Havana or Pinecrest to not just learn about the issue, but be the eco-emissary. That's a, a term that Xavier uses all the time. They are someone who is, is going and talking to their own friends, families, neighbors, or shop owner, you know, all the folks in their community that they deal with on a daily basis and bringing them into the conversation and saying, hey, what are we doing what are we doing about this? How are how are we going to deal with saltwater intrusion into our freshwater aquifer, right? And so these are the kind of issues that we want to to raise with projects like the underwater or or the reclamation project uh, as a couple of, of examples, which you know we're happy to talk more about. Yeah, Adam accompanied me to my TED talk in London for the countdown, and in it he uh, he heard me talk a little bit about both those projects. I think those are projects that would resonate with your audiences, particularly those who live in coastal communities. Adam, why don't you talk a little bit about the underwater? Yeah, so here in South Florida, we live at an incredibly low elevation, as there are many other places in the world that share that same characteristic. However, we are built on top of limestone rock. So that means that we are built on this porous material that water can easily penetrate through. And in when you're in Miami-Dade County, if you are living, say, in the western part of the county, further away from the Atlantic Ocean, you likely feel safer from sea level rise or from flooding because you're farther away from the ocean. However, we live between an ocean, the Atlantic, and then also the Everglades, this river of grass. Uh, and what that means is we have water coming in from both sides and also straight from beneath the ground as as sea levels rise. And so this is this can be catastrophic for South Florida, you know, in the next few decades, even as that wa- as that salt water comes into our freshwater aquifer beneath us. Um, so how do we mobilize people around this issue so that we can be in conversation with our policymakers at the local, state, and federal level to make sure that this future that is coming in a greater than 1.5 degree world is is equitable? What can we what can we do? What adaptation measures can we put in place? What mitigation measures can we put in place? And what Xavier did back in 2018 was create the Underwater Homeowners Association and as a way of uh, tackling this problem. And so what the Underwater HOA did was it worked with the city of Pinecrest and it had folks use an app that was developed by FIU, Florida International University, and find their homes at uh, elevation above sea level. So you type your address, it tells you exactly how high your house is above sea level. You find out that you're at 3.2 feet or you know 9.6 feet. And when you know that number, you can create this yard sign that you put in front of your house. And it's not a political yard sign saying vote for somebody. It's not a for sale yard sign. It is simply a seven, right? Or a 10. And it's weird and it's strange. And like, what the heck is that doing there, right? And that's the point is that this one house has this yard sign, but then so do hundreds of other houses. And uh, you can imagine driving through that neighborhood and being very curious about what the heck all of these numbers, which seem arbitrary, which seem you know, random, what are they doing there? And so in that process, you begin to have conversations. And okay, now you're driving further down the street, and then you see this big intersection that has a mural that has a big number 11 on it. 
and you're even more of like, what is going on? And this, in this way, you have this public art intervention that is sparking uh, conversations and and bringing people together. Because what Xavier did was, in partnership with with Pinecrest, he then hosted monthly underwater HOA meetings where residents were able to come together, learn from relevant experts, practitioners, scientists that would be brought in, um, and then try to plan as to how this community is going to move forward with the understanding that sea level rise is happening. You know, they don't want to bury their heads in the sand. Um, and so this underwater HOA project that started back in 2018 has grown into what is now called the underwater here in 2023. And it's something that is expanding in a number of different ways. So we created the underwater Intel. So this is an online resource section uh, on the website where you, so you become interested in the project through the public art uh, installations, or maybe you created one yourself and then you scan the QR code on the, on the yard sign and you dive into podcasts and videos and articles and books and movie recommendations um, that are there curated based on what it is that you're interested in. So if you were to go to the underwater Intel, you'll see that there's a section on health and wellness and business and technology and art and culture. And the idea is we are, we are complex people. We all have different passions and thoughts and interests. And so how do we get people more excited about learning about these issues? And that's aligning it more to what they already care about. And so the underwater Intel helps to do that. And there's also a section with local organizations. So we want to move people from the awareness to through the education and then into action so they can see here's a bunch of great local orgs that are doing stuff right now. They're on the ground and they they need help. They could use greater capacity. And so the underwater Intel helps to connect folks who learn about sea level rise and the climate crisis to actually getting involved with either, you know, local transportation or energy or advocacy or housing issues, um, all of which are obviously interconnected with the climate crisis here in, in Miami. And in partnership with the uh, Miami-Dade County Mayor, Xavier is the inaugural artist in residence for Miami-Dade County. We are working with the Parks Department to create sustainable concrete elevation sculptures in every single county park, which is 287 county parks. And they're site-specific, meaning if a park is at four feet of elevation, the sculpture that it has right at the entrance is going to have a four on it. And then there's going to be a QR code. And you can imagine you're you know, playing catch with your dad and you see this four and you're like, dad, what does this four mean? And the dad's not going to have any idea. So you then go and scan the QR code and it brings you in to, to the project and you learn and you find your own your, your home's elevation above sea level. Um, and so this is something that is expanding within Miami-Dade County. And this year actually we'll be moving into Broward County, which is where I'm from originally. I'm from Hollywood, Florida. Um, which is about 30 minutes north here of, of Miami-Dade, and it has the same exact problems when it comes to, to sea level rise. Super low elevation uh, built on the Everglades, limestone rock. And so Broward is embracing this underwater project, and so we're going to be creating murals and working with schools and events and wrapping an electric bus uh, with, with art uh, about the underwater project. And so this is something that we're really excited to, to launch in a, in, a, in a more meaningful way because it's a campaign that we really believe will resonate with folks as they see the flooding happening in their backyard and as they see Fort Lauderdale International Airport, you know, not be accessible because of rain and not even a hurricane, but literally just rain. And so it's it's an appropriate time. And it is. Uh, and, and the thing is that there's actually something that they can do. And that's where all of the work that Xavier creates, there's always an action oriented component. And that's 
you are you are getting involved you're doing something you have agency you have responsibility and that's what's what's exciting because now we can hold policymakers accountable now we can actually fight for the legislation and the policy change that we need as we have a constituency that is well informed and that is activated um, so that's the underwater project yeah so as you can see there's a kind of project that can scale up I remember uh, I got a call from a school in the Philippines and they were having issues with flooding and they wanted to figure out how to address it. And they had learned about my underwater project because it had gotten a lot of international press. Because again, this is an important issue that impacts every place where land touches water. Literally, uh, most, most people live in coastal cities, right? So 80% of the GDP created on this planet occurs in 1.9% of its surface area. And all those areas are coastal cities. Just think about all the major port cities. Well, every single one of those cities and their tax base and their ecosystems, and especially their people, the livelihood, their people are gonna be impacted as with rising seas. And there's also all sorts of ecosystem collapse, clearly, and economic collapse that will follow. The kind of collapse that will make it difficult for some nation states to really continue in their governance. When we look at development, we look at systems change. We look at long time, not just the immediate. And sometimes it's hard to get the constituency of those people and nations that we're trying to help to buy into the the solutions. Well, by making it personal to them, in this case, literally your home equity, the only thing, your biggest chunk of equity is under threat, why don't you respond to it the way you respond to a hurricane? When a hurricane comes, you prepare, you put shutters on your windows, you get water, you move to higher ground, you plan for a hurricane that you can see on a, on a tracking map three or four days away. But somehow, when we're looking at an event that can happen in three or four decades, we are oblivious to it. We kick the can down the road. And that's why planning and policy becomes so difficult. So as an artist, I wanted to help my neighbors understand their vulnerability to rising seas. I wanted to make sea level rise something impossible to ignore. And as an individual, as a sole individual, I decided to engage others in this really large scale transformative effort. And through our website, Adam just mentioned it, you know, it's uh, cortada.com forward slash underwater. You can download a toolkit where I invite you. I invite you to participate just like the phone call from the Philippines. If you have a community that's suffering from flooding or doesn't quite understand their vulnerability and they want to create some capacity, some communication at the societal level, All it takes is one individual, a cardboard, and a can of paint. Use the app that's on our website, type in your address, and nail that piece of cardboard in front of your uh, door or put it on a stick in front of your yard and tell your neighbor to do the same and so on and so on and so on. Beforehand, now you have this community that understands that they're all at the same place. As a practitioner, you can then bring in some programming to help them understand how to address that issue and all the other consequences you know what's going to happen to fisheries what's going to happen to industry what's going to happen to property values for those communities that deal with it what will happen with flood insurance mortgages these are all conversations that by making it personal you begin to engage in others and in that process speaking to the audience that's listening to the podcast 
You yourself will discover solutions that you're unaware of. Uh, informal systems that exist in the communities where they support and protect one another. Systems that you should partner in as you conceptualize the kind of the service delivery that you want to bring. And importantly, bring the, build the kind of support and constituency to make sure that your ideas are going to you know, sort of uh, take hold and are going to be supported not just by this current government that you're working with, but by the very people who are going to be there for decades and benefit from your solutions. So art, again, something as simple as visualizing sea level rise by taking the most common of things, a for sale sign, a yard sign, and putting it in your um, front yard has a way of starting and engaging those conversations. And thank you very much to both of you for providing that very detailed glimpse into sort of how you approach these different projects. Can you walk through that longevity, that sustainability piece that you allude to there at the end? How do you make sure that the impact that you create resonates and lasts within the community and and, and gives the community a sense of ownership over that work and self-empowerment to then drive forward additional mitigation and adaptation measures on climate? So I work with uh, something called slow activism. And at the end of the day, it's about believing in, in people, literally about understanding that if you allow individuals to understand that they have voice, that there's creativity inside of them that can usher in the changes that they want to bring, and you create a platform, a pathway for their own self-driven activism, then you basically give them a, the, the person a fishing rod as opposed to a fish. You literally create a platform for engagement, community building, inquiry, right? So what we try to do is really just create processes that pique the curiosity of an individual. And because I work across systems, I transform things. Uh, awareness, having pol politicians who wouldn't talk about sea level rise all of a sudden talk about it because it's not a partisan issue it's about property values make constituents hold their politicians accountable because it's about their personal property you know they care more about protecting their property than how how that property is taxed so it's about creating the capacity and the conversations bringing it to light and the work that we did with the underwater in miami was was literally impossible to ignore sea level rise. There was some controversy around it. The realtors didn't want us to talk about the project, but it was a series of just conversations about the issue and about the issue. So to me, it's using art to create a cadre of science literate engaged citizens who will then tap into their own curiosity and with their own resolve, begin to address their community. So it's community organizing 101, but adding the creativity, the belief in the individuals to advocate for themselves. So this is part of a broader art form called social practice or socially engaged art, where it's really about relation building. And it's using, as I said earlier, arts elasticity to work with different groups, almost like a choreographer working with different dancers with different abilities to come up with a dance. In this case, our dance is trying to address climate issues over time. So I dance with mayors, I dance with educators, I dance with community leaders, I dance with realtors, I dance with all these different individuals and bring them into the conversation. And what you'll see in my projects through time is that one builds on the other, builds on the other. 
So our current project has to do with heat, a huge campaign that we're addressing heat. Why? I'm trying to get people to reduce their carbon footprint. For some, three decades and sea level rise is still too far away, but 3 p.m. heat stroke this afternoon is not. So I reframe issues. I make them personal. I make people want to connect with them. And to me, that's it's about uh, ultimately believing in the power of the individual to effectuate the change. That's what I do through my art. I just wanted to add to that, and it's something that you do in the Reclamation Project, but in addition to, say, the more traditional community organizing, there's a strong emphasis on bringing people into nature and having the connection with the outdoors be something that is paramount in the practice. So, for example, the Reclamation Project is an initiative that has planted 25 acres of mangrove forests in Miami-Dade County through a partnership with what was the Miami Science Museum, now the Frost Science Museum. And it's a process where Xavier worked with volunteers and went into mangrove forests with a permit to collect mangrove propagules, mangrove seedlings, and then take them to Lincoln Road, which is this shopping center in, uh, in South Beach, this long street that has lots of bars and restaurants. And what these volunteers would do is they'd go up to the shops and ask the person behind the counter, like, hey, could we put up this, this art installation in your window? And they would tell them what it was about. And what the installation was, was these little mangrove seedlings in water-filled cups. And you would just take the cup and you would hang it on a little hook that was attached to a suction cup on the glass window. And you would have a grid of these mangroves. So maybe nine of them or 15 of them, whatever the, the shop owner wanted to, to do. And in doing this, you had all of these people walking down the street. It's a super busy area, stopping and looking at these weird little seedlings. Because if you're not familiar with a mangrove propagule, it looks like a, a thick asparagus or a long green cigar. Like it, you know, you don't know what it is unless you're a local and you see them washing up on the beach. And so this project would have you stop, look at this thing, question what it is. Again, it's weird, it's strange, kind of like the underwater elevation markers. And then you read on the little pamphlet that's that's hung up next to the mangroves that where you're standing used to be a mangrove forest, right? So you're starting to understand the destruction that has taken place just to just to create where it is that you're standing. And that awareness is being built through time with people, you know, experiencing the project, but then those mangroves would go and get planted at the, at the, at the water's edge. So in Virginia Key and Key Biscayne, you would have volunteers going and planting all of these mangroves. But what Xavier likes to, talk about when it comes to the importance of these projects is not necessarily that we planted all of these mangroves, um, but more so that people themselves planted the mangroves, that you had folks going in to the water knee deep and digging a hole and, and having that experience because that experience is something that really shapes you and it's something that you'll remember. It's not like sitting in a lecture about the importance of mangrove ecosystems and how they can sequester carbon dioxide. It's going and seeing the filtered light of the mangrove forest and, and walking through that water and seeing the little crabs and the fish and the birds and, and really immersing yourself in that in that experience and, and through that ideally transforming yourself in, in some small way. And and that's where these projects are, are really impactful because you know that reclamation project started back in 2006. And then you know the number of testimonials that even I have heard in the last four years working with Xavier it's surprising the number of people who not only do they remember seeing, say, that exhibit um, somewhere, but they 
they're the they have changed a part of their life to because of because of that experience whether that means now that now they're a teacher or they're a professor or maybe it's just a a great hobby of theirs so this is when it comes to xavier describing slow activism it's like yes we planted those trees and that you know check but more so it's about creating this cadre this group of people um, that is ever expanding and ever growing that are going to be those 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 activists or practitioners or or policymakers who are making the change that we need to see um, at the local and at the international level. And importantly, it also changes systems. I partnered with a science museum in creating this project. The consequence of it is that the museum itself changed its programming. So a big chunk of the museum's programming isn't just to come in and see an exhibit indoors, but it's now to take people outside to reforest upland trees and mangroves. So the 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 value of a socially engaged art piece is that it helps transform systems, uh, not just individuals. And I think that's clearly what we're trying to approach here. In a word that we're dealing with climate, what you want to be able to do is have a constituency group of people who clamor and want um, that kind of change. What I love about the reclamation project is that it gives the individual who is, again, learning for the first time about the ecosystem services of mangroves, not just from a biodiversity point of view, but also protecting communities from the impact of hurricanes through they, they buffer the energy of a hurricane when the storm surge is coming in. So what I love about this project is that not only do they learn about the importance of mangroves, but they actually have a role in protecting mangroves. And it's a good way of organizing people uh, and a community, a small fishing village that is about to lose some wetlands to a shrimp farm or to a golf course or to the development of you know vacation homes can have its community organize around their beloved mangroves, create these vertical installations, and begin to have the very people who grew up in those wetlands fight for their own wetlands. And at the same time, help you know continue to sequester carbon and provide all those ecosystem services. To me, those are the those are the the, the value of art. We're in a world where we have artificial intelligence technology and an absolute saturation of visual imagery. So what I what, what I want to focus on here is not the objects that are created, but the process that creates them. And that's what I really mean by art. So, you know, the audience member who may have read this podcast and said, oh, it's a podcast about art. You know, how can we depict, you know, suffering in Africa or water in Latin America? No, that's not what we're trying to depict. What we're trying to do is create a process through which individuals come up with solutions and are in dialogue with policymakers and other stakeholders to make sure that those solutions are impactful through time. And by using art, by using creativity, by using theater and music and dance and visual arts, but also this relational social practice, the weirder, the better, the more community oriented, the better, you can really begin to have um, the kind of interaction that I think will help uh, transform things. I think there's one last point that I think is really, really important here. And I, I, um, you, you can't see my age because you're just listening to my voice, but I'm twice Adam's age. I was actually his professor at the university. And I, I, I just want to take a second to talk about the, the role of mentorship in two directions. I think everyone understands the value of a mentor for a mentee, right? It's important for for a mentee. And I hope that people in the practitioners who are listening to this call, I, I trust that within 
their organizations. There are individuals, whether it's interns or junior uh, members of the organization, who they who they take under the wing and they try to take that knowledge and disseminate it and and uh, serve as you know as a protege, right? To 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 protect, but also to to elevate the person so that that person takes the knowledge and the ideas that you have spent your whole life developing and they can continue advancing them. If you care about your work, if you care about your ideas, then you want to do a little succession planning to make sure that they continue. So I think everyone understands that role in a mentorship. What few mentors really have the humility to accept is the transformative role that a mentee can have on an older person, particularly one that has advanced in their career. By having Adam come into my practice, it helped me pivot and focus. I would, we, there would be no foundation had Adam not been my graduate student. So I, I think it energizes you. For those of us who have been working in the climate area for a long time, and we can get really depressed about how little the needle moves, right? We continue putting more carbon in the atmosphere this year than we did last year. Having individuals who are younger than you, who are still willing to fight that fight, who aren't disillusioned, is inspiring, right? It gives you a personal sense of hope. And having this new energy, this new perspective, this new way of looking at the world and and looking at it through their generational lens makes you a better practitioner to be responsive to that generation. So I think what I'd like to, to, to say is to the people listening, many who whom I think are mentors, um, yeah, you realize you're supposed to have mentees, but do yourself a favor, get yourself a mentee so that you can thrive. The last thing that I would want to mention with regard to art and climate and making meaningful change at a societal level just comes back to the basic idea that art can help you feel, you know, feel emotions. It has the power to evoke that. And we desperately need people to be feeling right now, given how numbed we can become in this, in the world that we live in. And so just, I know that when I was growing up, even through undergrad, I didn't have an understanding as to the power of art. And so I hope that through this podcast and through folks' exploration into what art can do, we realize that there's a lot of potential that is you know, untapped at the moment with, uh, when it comes to utilizing art and socially engaged art for uh, helping solve some of these huge problems. Thanks again to Xavier and Adam for taking the time to talk with us today. You can find more information about the Xavier Cortada Foundation at cortadafoundation.org. You can learn more about the Center for International Development's research, upcoming events, and how to join the GEM23 virtually at cid.harvard.edu. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back soon.